This is the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a podcast for creatives, for those who are beginning to be creative or those who have built a business around their creativity. Here, we allow creatives to tell their story about how they got to where they are today, and we give some tips on how to make your creative business better than it was yesterday. Hey, everybody, guess what? The creative writing community is now open for membership. I'm so excited about this community because it is going to be dedicated to writers writing their book, publishing their book, and launching their book, all while having a good time and growing in their craft. Writing is typically an all-alone art, but you don't have to be a lone wolf and do everything yourself. In fact, I highly recommend that you don't, just for your own sanity. In the creative writing community, we're going to have live writing sprints, author hangouts, expert Q&As. We're going to learn all about the things that it takes to be an author these days and generally support each other in the craft. It will be a place where you can share your knowledge and learn from others and find collaboration and accountability with people who are serious about growing as writers. We're going to support each other, encourage each other, challenge each other, and be generally as committed to seeing each other succeed as we are to our own success. If you're interested in being part of such a group, head on over to catcaldwell.com and just click the pink button right at the header. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode, episode 84 of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. I'm excited to have you guys here. If you haven't noticed, we've switched, <laughs> we've s- switched um, the episode to have it come out on Mondays. Seems to be kind of the day that weekly podcasts go out. I hope that it at least doesn't mess you up. <laughs> Maybe gives you something to listen to throughout the week as we start commuting back to work or back to school or whatever it is we do right before summer starts. This week, I have Laura Pageant on the show, and I loved talking to Laura, and she really got me thinking about a few things. So my question to you this week is an easy one. You'll know the answer to it right away. How old are you? I know some of you are very offended right now (laughs) that I would dare to ask you that. I don't like telling my age, but I have just hit 39 and a half. I'm almost to 40. Seems really weird. High school seems so close and yet so far away. You know, it's just no wonder people have midlife crises. It's just a very strange place to be. Now, I'm not in the middle of any sort of midlife crisis. In fact, I've just been thinking about that sort of midway point, right? We kind of consider 40 the midway point. And I've been thinking about how we tend to assume that everyone around us and society around us values youth more than it does the wisdom that comes with age. I think because when we're young, we really value the youth the youth that we have, we, especially in America, really want to make it at a fairly young age, both financially and business-wise, you know, whatever we define as success. We want to be married. We want to have kids. We want to have the career. We want to have the big house. You know, we want all these things. We want them fairly young. And I don't really know where that started, but I'm not sure that it's the healthiest mindset for us to have. I know a lot of us are trying our best to change it, and Laura Pageant is one of them. She found a new passion due to a medical necessity to sort of branch out and find something new and ended up falling in love with dancing. But I don't think it has to even be as dramatic as a physical necessity for it. It could be as dramatic as a pandemic (laughs) happening and you decide to pick up a pencil or a paintbrush or start typing out your novel that you've always talked about and you found your passion. But if you're having any sort of doubt about your age and if it's worth pursuing, if your creativity is worth pursuing, I want to encourage you right now that it absolutely is. If you have a novel inside of you, it is worth pursuing and getting it out no matter what age you are. 
If you have art inside of you, music, dance, it doesn't matter. It will fulfill you. It will help those around you, honestly, because our art is always for other people, right? This world needs a little happiness. It needs a little reprieve. And that is what art is for. So I want to encourage you, no matter how old you are, to just keep going to pursue that new thing or to keep going on the old thing. Now, you might not really believe me when I say that because it's always easier to say it than to really believe it, right? So I looked up and these people are pretty easy to find. You know, I just Googled people who found success later on in life. And so I want to prove to you that youth isn't everything and that it is absolutely worth pursuing your dream when you're 40, when you're 50, when you're 60, really at any age. Let's start with Vera Wang because she's awesome. She decided at 40 that she wanted to be a designer. Now, these are all really short, like two sentences about these successful people. I would assume that she probably wanted to be a designer before that, but it's at 40 that she actually you know, said, I am going to do this and got it done. Martha Stewart found real success after 41. So we're going into our 40s um, with her first book, Entertaining. And then she didn't launch Martha Stewart Living, which was like my grandmother's favorite magazine, until she was 48. Right? So obviously we are young enough in our 40s to find success. The founder of Zipcar was 40, Robin Chase, when she started the company. Duncan Hines Cake, that helped us all as little kids think that we knew how to bake a cake, started at 55. At 73, he licensed the right to use his name and develop the Nuckenheim cakes. So 55, when he was started his first restaurant, and then 73, when he licensed his Duncan cake. Well, thank goodness he did that. It just made me feel so great to make those cakes when I was little. Samuel Jackson was 46 before he was in Pulp Fiction. I wonder if he was in something else before that, but it says 46. I mean, I guess that was his like defining role, right? That We all fell in love with him and wanted to see him in more roles. Julia Child, her first cookbook was published when she was 39. And then she debuted her television show when she was 51. So that's awesome. Sam Walton owned several different stores, but he opened Walmart in 1962 when he was 44. See, see, we are not too old right? Stan Lee didn't create his first comic until he was 39. I feel like 39, 40 is kind of that age that we're all like, you know what? It's time I do what I really want to do, (laughs) right? Maybe. Oh, I like this name. Momofuku Ando. Let me say that again. Momofuku Ando. Oh, he created ramen noodles when he was 50. Yes. (laughs) Well, what would my kids eat for an after-school snack if Mamufuku thought that he was too old? And then I think we've all heard probably at any sort of mindset or, you know, conference that Colonel Sanders was 62 when he franchised his company. And he had just been selling his fried chicken from his gas station, you know, that he got at 40. Again, look at this. Look at this. I just want to prove to you, and I'm sure there are many, many more people who have switched careers because obviously everybody was working something before they were 40. Otherwise, they'd just be really poor. (laughs) We all have to work somehow, gain money, you know, live, eat. But it seems like a lot of us work to live. And then there's a moment in which we seek our passion and our creativity. 
So whether you have been doing this your whole life, whether you have just started, whether you've switched, maybe like a few that we I've mentioned, whatever it is, I just want to encourage you to keep going. If you've started something new, good for you. You are not too old at all to start a new creative endeavor, to keep going in your creative endeavor. And you know what? We also at some point have to redefine success. Like clearly the people I've listed up are pretty well known. Maybe you would define their success as having a television status, magazine status, or just financial status. But what is success for you in your creativity? Is it being able to run your business and living off of it or getting a vacation out of it because your main income is from something else? Is it just hearing back from your readers or those who buy your art or those who listen to your music and knowing that your art is touching them. So maybe getting your music into a movie someday or collaborating with another artist. Of course, these are all things that we should think of and have as goals and go towards them, right? But if you take a moment today to really think about how you're approaching age in your creativity and then how your approach to age is influencing your approach to success. I think that you'll be able to align your mindset a little bit better and maybe have a little more peace about the whole process. Before I go, let me tell you a little bit about the creative writing community. If you are a writer and you're looking for a tribe to write in, we hold live writing sprints, live hangouts. We have wonderful experts who come in and talk with us. Already this month, we've had so many live writing sprints. We hold three a week that I have finished editing my entire book and I have revamped my first book and I'm on to my nonfiction creative essays. It's amazing. It's feel like I have so much time and they're only an hour and a half long, but I get so much done in them. We've also had Chris Kane come in and talk to us about rapid releasing. We are going to have Pagan from Paperback Kingdom come in and talk to us about book blurbs and query letters. We've had our first live hangout. We're having a lot of fun. If you are looking for a writing tribe, consider checking it out. You can go to my website, catcaldwell.com and find out more information there. And if you love the show and you want to help contribute to the show, you can let me know of somebody that you think should be interviewed because you adore their creativity, or maybe you adore your own creativity and you would like to be on the show and tell your story. You can find me on Instagram at catcaldwell.author. You can also find the show's Instagram at pencils and lipstick, all spelled out on Instagram. I manage those two sites. You can DM me. If you want to just contribute monetarily to the show, you can go to our Patreon, pencils underscore lipstick, or you can buy me a coffee and those links will be in the show notes. Now, without further ado, here is the interview with Laura Paget. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast. Today, I have with me Laura Padgett. She is an author, a speaker, and a dancer. Hello, Laura. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming. Uh, Will you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you're from? Thanks, first of all, for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to share uh, my love of the Lord and my love of the arts. I grew up in Denver. I was born in the 50s in the Mile High City, Denver, and have lived in various places around the United States. But I now live on the other side of the Western Slope, if people know what that means, of the Continental Divide in a town called Montrose. So, yeah, left the big city. So you're a Midwestern I mountain really girl. Am, and I Yeah, so I'm about 250 miles west of Denver. Okay. All right. I have been there once. It's beautiful. (laughs) We drove all the way out there. It is a beautiful area. It is. And it's interesting because Denver, and I wish I had, it it popped into my head now. There was a dance group way out in Denver during the 30s and 40s and 50s. They were very famous out in, do you know who I'm talking about? I don't. 
I do know that. Okay. It was a real like modern dance and it, it was actually pretty up and coming for everything else being, you know, really New York. And no, I can't remember. I mean, I can see the book that is I it, read. Is it possibly <laughs> David Taylor? Because I, I think yeah, maybe. David Taylor had a, a, a group there and uh, I think he just recently retired. I mean, yeah, I've taken classes from him. And then of course there was wow. the famed Trocadero ballroom at Elish Gardens where my parents ballroom danced. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Denver in Colorado has a really interesting history and I've read two different people's books, you know, just their, their lives there and thinking that place was kind of wild west for it a was. long time for up until modern, <laughs> like, like 1930s was still I like, know. I know. <laughs> and you know, it's interesting that there's still a huge element of trying to maintain our roots with agriculture and the Western tradition that certainly supports a lot of things like the National Western Stock Show, which hopefully we'll have in 2022. And um, yes. my husband's very involved in that. And just over here where I live, we're, you know, we're in ranch land and agriculture is very big over here. So it's, it's a lifestyle that I think will always be associated with Colorado. I hope, I hope. Yes. Yes. I mean, it, but what's interesting is I think a lot of people who are in the city seem to think that the arts are a city mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And yet the more you look into people who are in agriculture or just living a different life and not a city life, they do a lot of arts. There are people who have written poems. Maybe they don't become as famous as the city dwellers, but dance and poetry and just written prose and singing. There's always different kinds of singings in the in the country life. So let's talk a little bit about how you came to dance, because I find this a really fascinating story that I want to talk to you a little bit more and dig a little bit deeper into that. Um, secular dance is the story I can start with. Sacred dance is my, okay. pas- my passion, praise dance. But um, sacred dance started when I was in my 40s. Now, I had earlier okay. on as a teenager, young adult, I always loved to dance and I always loved music. And so, of course, there were the Denver clubs and things like that and did that. But when I was in my 40s, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, which now is sort of an umbrella for many things. But in those days, it was very scary and nobody knew much about it because as as I had explained to you before, I'm going to be 70 in June. So I was in my 40s and my goodness, I just, I was so tired all the time and taking supplements, mm-hmm. taking care of myself, blah, blah. And my doctor said, I think you need exercise. And I I remember looking at her and thinking, how much time would you get for throwing a physician off the fourth floor? I'm I'm sorry. This is not what you tell somebody who can barely get their head off the pillow in the morning, who has a nine-year-old at home and my own business. And I thought, right. So I sat there and I cried and I prayed and I cried and I prayed. And one night, seriously, I was watching PBS and here came Riverdance. And I thought, hmm. Oh, that looks like fun. And the word no can't, no and can't just sort of never lived in my vocabulary. So I did it. Yeah, it didn't occur to me. I couldn't do that. So I went and took lessons, took them for many years. And because I took those lessons, I, in my fifties, people laughed at me. Oh my heavens. They laughed at me. You're kidding me. Right. So I did lots of shows and competitions in my fifties. I took gold medal in the Highland Games in wow. Estes Park, which is an international competition. and Or a national, I beg your pardon. I don't know if there are international dancers there, but they are na- come from all over the nation. So in my 50s, up against people, well, a third or half my age, I, I pulled off the gold. And um, I, I had that medal. Nice. And people have asked me, where is it? I'm like, I don't know. There's a reason for that. But at any rate, that's how I got started. But I also fell in love with tap. I fell in love with clogging. Okay. Clogging's a big thing in the West and also in the South. But my heart, my heart said, you know, this is really fun. I love the performance. I love all that. But there's something missing. So there was a woman in Denver. Her name was uh, Gwen Bowen, Miss Gwen Bowen. She's an icon for people who are listening who are in this area. And uh, I went to her class of tap one time. 
and took my daughter-in-law who wanted to learn tap. And as soon as she watched me tap, she goes, you're an Irish step dancer. Well, busted. It is different. And it's very, very to a trained eye. It's very obvious. And I said, yeah. She said, would you like to teach a master's class? So I taught a little class in Irish dance. And one night we were cleaning up the studio and Miss Bowen said to me, well, thank you for doing this. And I said, thank you, but my heart just is really not so much in secular anymore. I'd love to dance for the Lord. She gave me the name of a woman named Cheryl Uruso in Boulder, and I began to dance with Cheryl. And uh, she taught me how to dance, praise dance, which is simple and beautiful and worshipful and praiseful. And and that's that's then my heart and my feet became best friends then. So that's, wow. and that's what I do today. And that's what I teach today too. So, yeah. That's very cool. I think we forget in these times that dance started in every culture, but especially in the Jewish, you know, in Christian cultures, dance is part of people. It is part of celebrations of worship. And we just seem to have lost that in our mm-hmm. modern you know what? <laughs> I think so. World. And I think a lot of that, of course, can be put down to the age of existentialism and blah, blah. And the people who said, you know, the only thing that really matters in terms of connection to the higher power or the spiritual world is your mind. So the body mm-hmm. was seen as something very undesirable. And that has come to us through cultures, not just Anglo or white or Western. It's come to us through cultures that have just said the body is bad. And that really is a message that is so damaging on so many levels, Mm. because my personal belief and my medical background, I have a medical background too. You know, you keep telling your cells, you're bad, you're bad. And then wonder where dis-ease comes from. And I really believe mm. honoring the body as the temple is part of our wholeness offered to God under the umbrella of, hey, dude, I'm here. I'm all in. I'm all in. Now, I want right. to also say there are lots of people who don't want to dance, and I honor that too. I do. You have to mm-hmm. honor where I, I love to sing, but I don't do it in public because, well, I don't want to hurt anybody, and I don't want to be accused of auditory assault. I just have a very bad <laughs> voice. But, uh, yeah, so I dance, and and uh, I've taught a lot of people, and, and I've learned from so many wonderful masters around the country, too. So, How, how did you get—so you're, you're talking the 90s, you started tapping, river dance, or Irish yeah. dance. Yeah. So I just think of—, of the culture we grow up in. And like you said, a lot of us don't, don't like our bodies. We don't like how they look, or we're told that they're not good enough. We're kind of told, I think most churches when you grow up in them are told, you know, you don't really move your body that much, maybe a sway, (laughs) but other than that, there isn't much to it. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) Like they good, you know, in, even in school, we're told sit down, be still. It's a lot of be still, be still Mm -hmm. in our Mm -hmm. society. Right. So how did you combat that as a 40-year-old and going, I need to move? Because dance is the most beautiful when you are comfortable enough to express. You can tell the difference of anyone out there has kids on their dance mm-hmm. competition. You can tell it, it's when a person's in it that you're just like, that's, that's beautiful. Right. So how did you reconcile that as, as a woman that's like... I'm 40. I'm in there. I, you know, you probably haven't been moving that much. Not really. And, and how did you put yourself in there? Even though you said that you don't, you don't hear the word can't, but you had to have oh, had sure. some. You know, we have messages that we've taken from even subliminal or messages that we take subtly from advertisements, billboards. And I think it was yes. just more guts than brains. <laughs> okay. I I had a deep, deep desire, and I've written stories about it in one of my books on short stories, one of my anthologies, and I've written that I just could not be, God's gift would just not be denied. And I Hmm. probably didn't know then that that's what was going on. And he used my Celtic roots. My mother was uh, Scottish and Irish, and my father was Italian. Now, let's give a break for the audience to go, oh, boy. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Thank you. And What a combination. (laughs) I will tell you, but look at it this way. 
a lot of therapists have put their kids through college because of that particular ethnic uh, <laughs> connection. So I feel like God used that too. But there was something in my heart, Kat, that I just could not be denied. And as a little kid, I remember dancing around my mom going, sit down. You've got St. Mm-hmm. Vitus dance, they used to call it. I don't know what condition it was. but So I was kind of shamed by that. I just... Right. The idea of going forward and doing something, I think when God says go, he does not let you go until you do it. Mm-hmm. And he knew he had a purpose and a point to pull me out of that. I shouldn't. We can't. Oh, and and yeah. as a pioneer in sacred dance for 20-some years, the idea of many churches saying, uh, I don't think so, that's... I wrote a story about that one time called Little Drummer Girl, bringing the little gift Mm. that was not really welcome and certainly wasn't worthy of the king and uh, how God used a secular song to teach me that, oh, yes, we take our gifts before the king. So I give all credit, honor, and glory to God for saying, this is the path I want you on. One of the paths he's given Mm -hmm. me several, as he does everyone. Everyone has several paths. So I was really excited when I was able to shake off that yoke because Mm -hmm. it's not true. It's not true. Dance, you know, it doesn't know an age or a stage. I just saw a video, goodness, I say about a month ago of, of of a woman who's in her 90s who is still doing amazing tap dance. And one of the groups in Denver that always takes or took the national title, they were all seniors, 70s, 80s. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's just, it's just a myth. It's just, now, am I on point yeah. anymore? Am I on high toes? No. Am I doing the big leaps? No. Am I doing the heart shoe, Irish? No. Because that's expensive on your body. And the day comes, hmm. no matter how much... Uh, cream and surgery or whatever we need to do, some people like to do to stay young, the calendars don't lie, Kat. And Mm -hmm. for me, the warranty's up and some of the parts are falling off. And so I have to say to myself, hey, I can't do that anymore. But my heart will continue to dance and teach dance wherever I can. Yes. Okay. So did you start in an adult Mm -hmm. class? Like the first day that you went, you found an adult class to go. I think this is a, a myth we tell ourselves that they're Mm-mm. all, a lot of these arts are for younger people. Oh, my kid wants to do this. You know, it's for little kids. It's, and what a spectacular way to get some exercise instead of going running. Well, <laughs> I know? see. And when I got sick in my forties and I knew something was wrong, I tried to do all those tapes of steel. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that, but there were these exercise programs and these little girls, they were so cute in their little leotards. And oh my goodness, you do these things. I go, well, this is about as much fun as a root canal with no anesthesia. I think I need something else. So, but I knew that was my exercise uh, for. Now, having said that, I will tell you that in order to maintain and continue my dancing, I soon learned I needed to find exercise like Pilates, uh, stretching programs. Um, I've Mm. never been really good at yoga. I'm not very flexible. As a dancer, I sometimes dancers are very flexible, sometimes we're not. In fact, I always make the joke that my IT bands are like rebar. But stretching, uh, exercise programs, movement, aerobics, gentle, as I move through my uh, 60s and now I'm approaching my 70s. So being honoring of the fact that I'm not what the world would call young anymore. And although young at heart is fine, it's hearts aren't the ones that hurt when you get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> yes. You have, to, you have yes. to live in a real world and accept where we are. And say, this is where right. I am, and this is what I can do where I am now. But what's interesting about that, too, is when you find a passion, a new passion in dance, you want to go do what's good for you, the, find the stretching, the Pilates for the core work, which you might not want oh, no. to really if you hadn't found the dance, you know, where you think, I mean, I've taken Pilates as I trained as a dancer yeah, for. That's right. Until, you told me that. <laughs> until I gave it up. But, you know, 
a lot even itself is not that yeah, fun. I know. <laughs> you know, just like I taking, know. but when you think, okay, I'm doing it so that I can lift my mm-hmm. my torso up and possibly I've never gotten my leg up there. I'm so jealous of, <laughs> of the ballerinas <laughs> yeah. who can do this, you know. But you have to take stretching and, and Pilates. So it's interesting how the stepping stones That's that right. we take. Oh, I'm passionate about this to get better. I can do more. And did you find any physical benefits? <gasps> Yeah, dancing and stretching. Well, I, I stopped being as tired eventually, but I also saw the mind body connection. And that was okay. once I threw off the yoke of you can't, or, you know, the messages and the giggling of the younger adults in the class, I began to see a different way that I just moved through the world in a different posture of not only confidence and there's a difference between confidence and cocky okay let's get that out of the way and <laughs> also in a way of just i'm trying to find the words it's funny as a writer you think i'd find these words but i'm not finding the words i need because it's hard for me to talk about this art which is my heart and it, it lives in a mm-hmm. sacred place but it was not only confidence to move but I began to understand and find ways to dismiss the lies that said I wasn't going to ever do anything with this. Mm-hmm. Now, let me say this about competition right away. Competition is an option. It helped me mm-hmm. to hone my skills in my 40s and 50s. And it it was great to walk off the stage with that gold. And I have a story about yeah. that. If we have time, I'd like to tell you about the story, the difference between silver and gold. And I think that... The benefits were my mind was starting to get happier. And as my mind began to get happier, because my heart was being satisfied now, it was just a complete change in demeanor and a complete change in the way I saw my total health. So absolutely so. It's all connected, isn't it? What we think is what we feel. What we feel is what we think. And um, I think that's, that's one of the best benefits for me. Yes. I I really think that we, whether we believe it in our heads or not, the messages that you're talking about that we grow up with, they, they get saturated and and absorbed into us. And we really think 40 is kind of the start of the end, (laughs) you know, whether, you know, we could say we don't believe that, but we act like we believe it as a society, you know, it's kind of start talking about retirement, even though it's 25 years away, (laughs) you know, know, how are we moving? Oh, I couldn't do a marathon now. Oh, I couldn't start a new thing now. You know, I'm only thinking about my kids. We usually have teenagers or going into teenage and we really act like it's it's the beginning Mm -hmm. of the end. And like you said, it does a number to our brains. It does. And we're living to 90, 95, a hundred. I don't want to spend 50 years thinking, well, you know, 50 years went by, I guess maybe I could have, because I'm sure at 80, 40 is going to look That's like right. nothing. It does. You know, it's going to look like 20, like, oh, why didn't I, I know. start it and then? You know, I want to tell you a real quick story about that. Can I, to illustrate this? Yes, I, yes, I'm absolutely. Sure I told you this before, Kat, when we talked, but um, this is a little story I heard, and I always teach it to my dance students. And there was a gentleman who was a master fiddle player, is a violin, I beg your pardon, there is a difference. And uh, there was another gentleman who was in his 40s. He was 40 years old, and he went to the little master, and he said, how long before I would be playing violin if I started now? And the master said, well, if you practice at least, you know, four or five times a week, and if you come to class, and if you give yourself permission to fail, which is very important for adult students, Um, I would say in five years, you could be playing like classics. And the man goes, five years? He goes, my goodness, I'll be 45 years old. And the little master said, "Hmm, how old will you be if you don't learn to play? And that's exactly the story that I tell my dancers who say, I'm just too old to do this. I say, what do you want to do it? Yes, I do. I tell them the story. And sometimes they change their ideas and come back. But remember that many of the students I have taught as Irish or sacred um, are women 
primarily, who come to me and say, well, when I was seven, I wanted to be a ballet star. I wanted to be a ballet dancer. But my, my mom took me to a teacher and said, oh, her feet are too big. Her body's too square. She'll never be a dancer. She'll never be. Two words that should be absolutely stricken or put into the basket of mm -hmm. profanity. Because that is a killer. That's a dream thief. And we just can't, we can't have that with our kids or our adults. So my joy was to open that back door and bring them in and say, come on in. Yeah. Let's see if you can. Because the old saying, say you can, say you can't, either way, you're going to be right, really hit home for a lot of them. And I taught women when I was at Regis University, we had a class, we did performances and we did all kinds of fun stuff. And I'm telling you, one of the best things about teaching Irish dance is studying the history of Ireland. And so many of those mm -hmm. dances are stories and they come, mm -hmm. some are myth, like the six hand uh, reel mm -hmm. and things like that. Sure. But they, they learned history and they learned so many other things. And one of my big things as a dance teacher is I have the bucket I call the bucket of pee. Now, stay with me, folks. It's a big bucket that has a printed letter P on it. And they would have to come in and dump their perfectionism in there. Had to be going away. Because you cannot learn if you cannot fail. But as adults, mm -hmm. we're so competent, malignantly competent, to a stumbling block that says, wow. If I can't do this perfectly the first time, I'm not going to do it. So most people would do it. They'd actually look at the bucket uh, and they'd dump their perfectionism in there and they had a ball. And if they made a mistake, they laughed. Yes. And they learned and they went right. on. And what I found was there were people who would get so angry with other team members and I would call them aside and say, now listen up, you know, build a bit bridge and get over it because these are classes to help you Find something you love, and you can't do that if you make it into something that is your enemy. So we had a great mm. time, and at the end of the class, I would say, okay, now, if you are training to go on to medical school, be an airline um, traffic controller, or a tax accountant, would you please pick up your perfectionism? We want you to be perfect. <laughs> yes, please. Especially if you're cutting so us open. You're going to be a brain surgeon. We are asking you. Uh, so it's a suspended perfectionism. But for other people, they had told me. I have so many stories where people came back and said, "My relationships began to bloom because once we stopped mm. holding ourselves up to that ridiculous standard of perfectionism, which another malignancy in our society, we don't expect others to be perfect. And boy, how do other people mess up too? And eh, we move on. How important is it? Right. Yeah. yeah, I think it's because we judge ourselves so harshly and we think others are judging us so harshly. And then you're just bound up in a whole bundle of judgment. How could you not judge other people as they're judging right. you? Yeah. <laughs> this is it's a vicious like, cycle. Just because... I, I, just because they call me paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get me. And we can get into that ridiculous <laughs> cycle of everybody's looking at me, but nine times out of 10, <laughs> nobody's looking at you. Yeah. Nobody's what? looking. Yeah, it's get so up. true. Yeah. No, they're, they're too self-absorbed. That's right. That's, they're looking in the mirror. Hey. Exactly. Will you tell us what is the difference between gold I and silver? When I was in my 50s, I knew that I was doing my last dance competition. Uh, again, the calendar. And I went to the Estes Park Games, believing I was going to be put into the what we call beginner, beginner two classes. I was bumped into what we call the novice, which is a higher level. And when I saw where they had put me on the the grid or whatever you call it, the barcode thing there, I just was in tears. I said to Keith, my husband, I said, I can't do novice. I can't compete with those higher levels. And he said, well, we're here now. We paid the money. Let's go. Just like I a know. man. <laughs> we <laughs> paid the money. You're going to go dance. With it. I'm like, well, all right, go find the guy with the Guinness because I'm going to need it. So <laughs> I get up on the stage and I do my little thing. And I just thought, you know what? This is it. This is the last competition, mm -hmm. and I worked hard, and I love this sport and dance so much. So I went out there, yeah. I just did my little thing, and um, came back, and uh, they 
announced the awards and I went over to look at the slots or the podium and it was me on the top. I'm like, wait a minute, what? So I had my little gold medal in my hand and I was went into what we call the dancer's tent where we would change our shoes and stuff like that. And a pair of Irish dance shoes, hard shoes went flying by my head. And I was screamed at by another competitor from another school who told me I had no right. I was too old. I had no right to that medal. She was a better dancer. She had better timing, better technique. And I I just melted. I mean, it hurt. And she stomped out. And I just stood there looking at my little medal thinking, oh, I'm a fake. And up came this beautiful woman who happened to be what we called the adjudicator, the judge, who gave me that goal. And she came up to me and she said, do you know why you got that gold medal? I said, no, ma'am, I have no clue. I said, she's absolutely right. She's so much better than me. She said, no, she's not. And I said, well, I don't understand. And I was crying. And she kind of lifted up my little crying face. And she said, I'll tell you, you went out there today and you worked yourself very hard. And we saw that you had really honed your skills. Like so many others, you knew your steps like so many others. You could keep time to the music like so many others. But she said, when all merits that are technical are equal, it's hard to decide between the silver and the gold. So do you know why you got the gold? I said, no, ma'am. If you haven't guessed by now, Kat, she was from Ireland. And I said, uh, I love it. <laughs> I said, no. She said, well... Some people do the dance, and others are the dance. And today, my friend, you were the dance. And that is gold. Yeah. Oh, gives me shiver. And that's... It's so true, though. Yeah. That's, that's the truth. You can, you can, whatever your giftings mm-hmm. are, you can strive for perfection, or you can just strive to yeah. be... Who you were created right. to be. And you can say, the art's going to use me, and it's going to pad and power my ego, or I'm going to use the art, and it's going to soothe, heal, uplift my soul. Choices. We all have choices. Yes. 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 It's so true. I love that story. Just listen to it over and over again. <laughs> and I think we we do honestly have to hear these stories over and over again as because we can always strive to hone our gifts and maybe get put in the, get caught on that perfectionist wheel and need to come back over and balance it out, you know, because you do have oh, to yes. practice, but then you have to, <laughs> you have to accept. And oh, I love that. So how, as you were probably working, raising mm. children, dancing and mm. competing, when did writing come in? Well, when I was, this is, I'm going to shorten the story because it's way too long, but I was medical transcriptionist, one of my many jobs in medicine. I was a coder. I was medical records professional. I did a lot of different things, but uh, my work began to go overseas. I worked from home, ran my own Mm. business, and uh, I was married and and had a a child. Mm -hmm. And I thought, uh, I got to go back to school. I didn't have my BA. And I thought, I got to retrain because I, you know, so I went on to my degree at Regis University and I got a degree in my BA in communication with an emphasis in conflict management mediation. Those three, those things, uh, especially the last two little tags are very helpful for people raising teenagers. And so I went on and got that BA and I decide I feel so in love with the world of academics, so in love with it, that I, I applied for a job at Regis University in Denver. And boy, howdy, I got it. And it was in the Office of Grants and Research to help faculty hmm. and staff get grants and, and students too. Yeah. So while I was there, one of the beautiful perks of that institution was you could get your master's for free. So I decided, oh, nice. okay, how about if we do something in dance, which I also considered part of my communication degree, which dance is, and in my opinion. So I went. So you were in your 40s That's when you me. went back to no, school? No, I was in my 50s, love. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
So you're already oh, yes. dancing and then you decide that you're just going to go, go back to school. I love you. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually I was in my fifties when I got the BA because my work went offshore, didn't it? And I didn't have any choice. Actually, I had to retrain. So, uh, the, Oh, but I mean, people choose to not do anything That's right. too. I mean, we do have right. a choice in like, oh, what am I going to do and complain? But you just said, I'm going to go gonna, retrain. I got to do something. And I'd always wanted my bachelor's right. degree. Oh, and there's another funny story in there too about how I got through statistics by tap dancing all my formulas. Anyway. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I'm going to write a story about that, put on my blog called Tapping yes. Through Stats and uh, how I got my, because <laughs> I almost threw it out the window. When I saw I needed to take statistics, I went, oh, no. Nope, 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 nope. I'm done. It's over. Hmm. And, I and my husband, man. yeah, and my husband and I worked on it till I heard a tap dance in the formula for standard deviation. So I tapped my way through stats. Anyway, That's the uh, the thing was when I went back to get the master's. Now I'm in my fifties, and I had uh, wanted to get my master's, and I thought, oh no, I can't do it at Regis because we don't have a dance program. But my beautiful, wonderful advisor who has now passed on. She was an 80-year-old woman who was a Zydeco musician from New Orleans. And she was a Cajun lady. And she said to me, oh, I've got an idea. So she said, let's do a master's degree in storytelling through dance. Hello. Hello. Oh, wow. So yes. I had to portfolio out to the actual dance piece. But when they saw my experience and blah, 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 that got put in there. And I decided, well, what is one of the ways we love to tell stories right now? And for me, Kat, one of the ways is through scripture. And I was mm. at a Catholic Jesuit university. So they allowed me to do a master's degree in storytelling through creative movement. And the emphasis was on sacred dance. Now, wow. I had to, in order to complete the degree, I portfolioed, but I also had to take writing classes under the, it was under the umbrella of creative okay. writing. So I took, you know, writing, developing character in the story, sustaining mm -hmm. plot, on and on and on. And one of my favorite classes was on allegory. And I love allegory. And my 1969 B.W. Beetle named Leonard, He's a whole story, too. I wrote a book about him called Leonard's Lessons. And in there, I took the allegorical pieces. See, Leonard can get by with things I can't. Mm -hmm. Allegory gets by with allowing us to look at and laugh at ourselves, not at others, never others, but at ourselves, and to depict the things within our character that might need a wee bit of like an oil change or tweaking or whatever. And so once I finished that book on the allegory, Leonard's Lessons, I realized God had gifted me in writing, and mm. so did my profs. They said, whoa. So I started writing all kinds of different stories. I graduated, and that was the degree. And the project at Regis, not only did you have to do a thesis with research, you also had to do an artistic project. And that project is called Moving into the Holy. It is a guide for people, mostly non-dancers, where my heart lives, to learn how to move into the holy space of total communion with God, if mm. that's what they'd like to do with, with movement. And that book, which I've never published it, I just it just was released from Dayton Memorial Library because theses and artistic projects belong, well, you know, the whole license, creative license thing. But it is about, and I've taught that at various places, um, retreats, what have you. And the one I like to start with is the Lord's Prayer. Hmm. Let's learn how to move the Lord's Prayer and mean it. And walk it and live it. And so that's that's how the writing came about. Wow. When I retired at age 59, my husband was ill at that time. So I took retire early retirement. And I began to write a blog. And friends of mine loved the blog. And in the blog, I started with the stories of my mentor, Dolores, who had been a, the woman God brought to me after I became a Christian. And how she mentored me into the life of faith, which I'd never known coming from the family I came from. And that particular book was published by, or that particular blog was made into a book. 
Okay. And I made it into a book and and submitted it to Westbow Press. And they said, yes, we'll publish it. And so they published it. And oh. it was published in 2013. That's the first book. It's called Dolores Like the River. And within that book, I talk about finding and using my gifts. I talk about recovering from a family of alcoholism. I talk about learning that dance was okay and being mm-hmm. encouraged. I learned how to be a mentor and how to be a student, a mm-hmm. mentee. And in that book, it was 2013, as I said, that was one of the things that launched the career. The other thing was that I had written some short stories and turned them into contests, and they won. They were winning. Oh, nice. And they were being published. And one's called Mama's Ring, which is about my mother's wedding ring that I received uh, years after her death. And she'd been estranged because she had the disease of alcoholism. And what I learned about forgiveness, even across that veil of death. Yes. And and so that was uh, published. It was a a national contest winner, and I just kept winning these contests. And uh, that really encouraged me to go forth and publish the story of Dolores Like the River, That's which nice. is my first book, Beautiful. and, and uh, how she mentored me. And then uh, from there, it's just been just something I've really enjoyed. Well, I have kept going. I still do my blog, and I have written for Chicken Soup for the Soul a couple times, which has been a hoot. I love them. And um, then published my second book in 2018 called Jesus in Shorts, and that's 25 short stories of life-changing Jesus moments. And Silver and Gold is in there. So that story is in there. Yeah, that's in there, as well as Mama's Ring, the story of of receiving my mother's wedding ring and, and the power of the forgiveness even through the veil of death. So that's it as far as I don't know what's happening next. I'm waiting for God to tell me. (laughs) once we open up but do you do you think that because nonfiction writing yeah you really have to know yourself in a different way you have to be able to reveal things about yourself Mm -hmm. you know the hurts of your mom and being estranged you know like in order for it to be truly nonfiction, and it it takes gift but it also takes courage so do Mm -hmm. you think that you would have been able to write like that had you not entered dance and gone through that sort of journey of confidence and moving your body in a, in a completely different way than we normally do day to day. Do you think that they're interconnected at all? Oh, yeah. I think they're interconnected in many ways. And there's a rhythm, you see. And I learned that in my master's classes because this I was joking, not joking, really joking, not joking, about the stats class. But I'm also telling you, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. There's a rhythm, there's a story. Mm-hmm. There's a connection and a flow. There is some repetition for the point of teaching, as there is in every dance performance. Mm-hmm. You're not going to ever see a dance performance where it's completely new steps. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a choreographed effort. And I think that's what writing is as well. Right. And you, I always, always, always teach my writing students. I teach writing uh, classes from time to time, although COVID has put an end to that, but it'll come back. It'll come back. It'll come back. And I teach them that. What are you trying to reach? Mm-hmm. Are you trying to reach a goal that says, look at me. I'm an excellent writer. I'm an award winner. I'm this, I'm that. Haha. I'm a gold medalist. Or are you trying to say to people, you can do anything you want. And in identification with my story as a child of alcoholics, in identification with my story as a woman who said, but I want to dance. And everybody said, I don't think so. As who, yeah, then walked off with a gold medal. All up to God again, please hear that. As a woman who now approaches my 70s and continues to hear the things that say, well, you're past it. You don't have a purpose anymore. Those things can be eliminated by going constantly back to the heart and the great creator and saying, what's next? Mm -hmm. But there is such a connection between dance and writing. There's such a connection, I believe, with all the arts. Many of my writer friends are also fine artists, and they have an expression on that canvas, another gift that I I just adore, but I do not have that gift, or musicians. Oh, my Mm -hmm. heavens. So... Art is of the heart, and it expresses itself through different 
venues. And so I believe that as a writer, I have really danced my stories across those pages. Yes, yes. And like you said, dance in many, many cultures, sacred dance mm-hmm. and just cultural dances, they are stories. That's how they they pass the stories down. You yeah. know, when that was when right. there wasn't always paper. And I think they are some of the most beautiful things. If anyone ever, if we get to travel again, you know, one of my favorite, I love the Irish dance. I, I made sure I went and saw River Dance in the in 1997, I think they came to my little city and oh my gosh. And yeah. I think they were like $80. It was crazy. It's all my money. You know? I know. Oh, I do. I do. It was so expensive. I'm sure they're much more expensive, but they're they're amazing stories. I had the opportunity to see the story of Thailand when I went to Thailand, where they oh, have it through dance. Yes. I mean, just amazing things. I have not been able to see sh- it's the Chinese dancers because of course they stopped uh, I know. Yes. for COVID. Everybody I can't wait to see that. The... Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I mean, they are stories. That's what they are. And a lot of what we live, like you say, they are stories and we can connect back to our cultures. If you can connect through your arts, you know, and, and see and learn those stories. And see how they connect. Yes. So the Irish people just refused that, you know, when uh, Queen Mary uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, when the queens came in, at that point, the churches, Queen Mary, they said no dance. Mm-hmm. And it was their it was their objective to obliterate the culture of those they had conquered, mm-hmm. the Irish. Yep. And you want to kill a culture? First of all, you keep the scientists, don't you? Because they matter. Mm-hmm. But if you want to kill a culture, you kill the art. Because the mm-hmm. art is the storytelling. It's the heritage. It's the g- consistency throughout the entire culture from day one. I mean, the Book of Celts, uh, the Druids. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. The Druids were dancers. And on and on. But what ended up happening is they dispersed the dancers, the masters, and sent them out into the world get out of here, go to Poland, go to France. What happened? Poland and France decided, we love this stuff. And so it did just the opposite. Kept going. Yes, you can't. The opposite. Which is wonderful. I mean. It's a grand. And, and they, so that's, you know, and the Scots as well. So many wonderful stories about Scottish dance. Oh, I love them, but I couldn't do all that hot bit. And um, I, my mother was a Scot and uh, we'd been to Scotland. I would love to go to Ireland. And I'm telling you, the the history that's within those those art forms, not just dance, but the literature and the music mm-hmm. and all the masters that the, were then sent out and ended up sort of infusing the rest of the world with this beautiful, and even, and Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth yeah. I, she loved it. She loved yeah. it. She yeah. did it. They used to giggle about how, how she would be dancing in her big ball gowns, but things that we want to destroy oftentimes end up exploding into, yes. you know, more. And I, and I think that's wonderful about Irish and Scottish. And I believe uh, African dance. Mm-hmm. Oh, my heavens. African dance. If you ever saw Bring in the Noise, Bring in the Funk, uh, it's just tap dance, sometimes acapella. But one of the most amazing things about that show is the depiction of racism. Mm. slavery uh beautiful there's some beautiful pieces in there and i think when we look at that and we are brave enough to look the truth of history in the eyeball Mm -hmm. instead of rewriting it so we're comfortable now we have the opportunity to see what mother Teresa taught us we have no peace because we forget we belong to each other yes there's a yeah I think the arts can heal us because we can honor what other people have endured and we can identify. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was amazed when I met my husband, he's Spanish and I went over to Spain and how much dance is part of the Spanish culture. Mm -hmm. You know, coming and growing up in Wisconsin, I mean, my dance was formal dance. Well, I thought it was formal dance <laughs> until I got oh. to college and realized I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> compared to all the city girls. But how amazing it was to be out on, because the, they're very emotional people, very outgoing. Passionate. Yes. yes, very passionate. And they need interaction. And so there's always parties in the summer. 
and they're out on the streets and somebody will start singing, somebody will start pounding, you know, and they'll, and they know movements. And of course they're not, most of them aren't formally trained in flamenco or any um, yes. cultural dances, but they'll move and mm-hmm. they'll start, you know, they'll do their, their Toro dances and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of imitate things. And I found that to be so beautiful and amazed that in America, most of our cultures don't have that. That's right. You know, and yeah. how sad that is. Well, except for those of us who refuse to let it go. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, more guts than brains. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a, a real deep desire to put my chiropractor's children through college. <laughs> I used to say to him, well, doc, I'm going to hang up the dance shoes. And he'd go, no, wait, we only have one more year of kids <laughs> in college. And I was, uh, I don't even think my chart was filed under uh, medical records. I think I was the annuity. But my heart just continued to push yes. Me. And yes. it still will. In fact, a friend of mine is doing Zoom classes starting this Saturday on teaching praise dance. And uh, my mentor, Cheryl, you were so out of Boulder. And uh, by cracky, don't you know, I've signed up. I'm, I'm of ready. Course. Sure. Of course. And I'm hoping to start a ministry here in this little town, but maybe, maybe not. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. But always looking, like you said, for the next thing. I That's find correct. that amazing. That's correct. Very nice. I have loved having you on so much. Um, if people want to find more about Laura, it's laurapaget.com. I'm going to put everything in the show notes. Um, she has a beautiful website with her books up there, um, her dances, a lot of uh, links to her stories and articles and more about her as well. So if you guys want to get to know her, she also has, where, where else are you on social media? So on, um, Twitter, I'm at Laura Lee Paget, and on Instagram, I'm Laura Paget Author, and on Facebook, I'm Laura L. Paget Author, Speaker, and Dancer, and then my website, as you mentioned, is laurallpaget.com. So there, but if they go to the website, they'll see the other links, especially if Absolutely. they read the story because they're at the on the blog. The blog's called Living What You're Given which is uh, exactly who I am. And, uh, you know, we've talked, you and I have talked about that. And it's, to me, it's we accept who we are. One of my very, very favorite topics, I'm a public speaker as well. One of my favorite topics is Poe Buddies Nerfect. <laughs> I was like wondering where you're going with that. I was like, Poe Buddies. <laughs> because, because I have a passion for us to hold what we have and quit looking at what everybody else has, quit comparing ourselves and quit practicing the absolutely devastating retro reach for what happened before, Mm. you know, when I was 40, before COVID, before whatever, living here, living now, seeing these gifts and using them. And that's what living what you're given is all about. And I tell lots of different stories on there. And I also tell, uh, invite authors in, uh, people who are going to give us a lovely word uh, mm. from their own experiences. So living what you're given is that blog and it's on laurallpaget.com. And um, I'm excited that you wanted to talk to me. Thank oh, you. I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you. I want everyone to understand that it's just not too late. Like it, it really doesn't matter how old you are. I work with women, mostly women again, not for any reason, but they tend to be women. You know, I spoke to one the other day who's um, 74 and wants to finish her book. Like we need to do what we feel needs to get done. And it's never too late to do that. That's right. And he's not going to leave you alone. Yeah, they'll be they'll be they'll be at seed of unrest in your heart. I spent many a nights down in my dance studio when I lived in Lakewood. Gone. What do you want me to do? He go well for right now. You don't get to sleep till we get this figured out. So like, <laughs> some people, look, you're a spirit and you don't need sleep. But I can tell you, I'm a woman. Now you just tell God you're old. Listen to him laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll redeem your time tomorrow to start dancing. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ever want to dance, honey, you just get me on the Zoom and we'll dance together. Yes, absolutely. Time. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Laura. Oh, thank you, my friend. And God bless you. God bless you.
Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.